Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Several headlines today um, for us to consider, um, but we are going to spend time in this opening segment talking about Afghanistan and particularly the plight of the people seeking to leave. But New York does have a new governor this morning, the first female governor in that state's history. The FDA has given full approval to the Pfizer vaccine, um, which I believe is going to lead to an increase in um, conversations both in the private and the public sector, uh, about vaccine requirements. And so I think that that is a conversation that we are going to continue to have. Um, Thomas McKenzie, who is an Anglican priest, he's an author, um, a delightful person, 50 years old, died in a car accident on Interstate 40, along with his 22-year-old daughter. Um, On the first day of his sabbatical, he was driving her to New Mexico to continue her studies Um, death is real, grief is real, it comes to all of us, and it may, um, it may be something pressing in on your life right now, a fresh grief. And so I want to remind you that the anchor holds, that we have a substantial hope, that although we grieve, and we grieve deeply, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Um, and so my brother in Christ, Thomas McKenzie, would want you to know today, would want you to hear today the good news of the gospel, that because his Redeemer, Jesus, lives, so too he lives, and that one day his Redeemer will walk again upon this earth. We do not yet live in the day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, but many of us already bow the knee and confess the name and recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we do not do so just as a fire insurance for heaven. We do so as a living faith. Christ abides in us. And we abide in Christ. And that changes everything. It changes the living of these days. And yes, it changes the reality of death itself. So let's be praying today for Thomas McKenzie's congregation in Nashville. Let us be praying for his family. Let us be praying for his daughter's friends. And let us be praying for the way that that God will use even this, even this, to advance the gospel. Turning to Afghanistan, um, you, you can hear and read the headlines everywhere. Uh, The United States and our allies flew nearly 11,000 people out of Kabul in a 12-hour window yesterday, bringing the number of people evacuated uh, in just the last couple of weeks to nearly 50,000. Where are those people going? Um, What is, how is the situation in Afghanistan going to add to what was already a global refugee crisis? 
Just a reminder that at the end of the year 2020, there were 82.4 million forcibly displaced people in the world, um, the highest number it has ever been, and a number that has doubled since 2010. We're going to talk with Matthew Sorens from World Relief about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Matthew Sorens is back. You can find him at worldrelief.org. You can also find him at evangelicalimmigrationtable.com. Matt, welcome back. Thanks, Carmen. All right, let's um, let's start with Afghanistan. I certainly also want to talk with you about what's going on at the southern border, but two very different and yet I think in people's minds related issues. But let's start with Afghanistan. Um, Give us your perspective on what's happening and invite people to help. Yeah, you know the situation in Afghanistan is, as you said earlier, it's been um, it's been very chaotic and really troubling to see. You know, these so many people just desperate to get out, and um, there has been some progress in getting more out, as you said, both U.S. citizens who are there as well as individuals. The, the primary group that, that we've been focused on, in addition to U.S. citizens, are people who served alongside the U.S. military, and many of those people have pending cases for what's called a special immigrant visa. It's a special visa specifically for people who were translators or in some other way served the U.S. military, other parts of the U.S. government's mission in Afghanistan, and as a result are facing threats of or the risk of a retribution from the Taliban. So we've been serving the, the, those people for a number of years at World Relief, both from Afghanistan and actually from Iraq, um, roughly um, 6,000 or so just in the last five years. But the challenge is that process takes a long time. It's a really thorough vetting process. That's good, but it's a problem when people need to get out immediately. And so what we've been saying really for months now to the Biden administration is if the U.S. is going to leave Afghanistan, then it's vital that we make a plan to evacuate out those with pending cases, Um, not necessarily directly to the United States. If if people have completed their process and they can come directly to the U.S., we're ready to receive them. And we've got church partners and others eager to help. But if they need further processing, then bring them to a third location. We've been suggesting Guam, which is what President Ford did when Saigon fell in 1975 with 130,000 South Vietnamese. Um, But that's been our position to make sure that they could get out before it was too late. And we, we didn't really get a response to that uh, beyond sort of stay tuned, we're working on something. And then as we all saw just in the last you know, eight or nine days, uh, the Taliban has, has fully taken over Afghanistan except for the Kabul airport. And that's made it just a very difficult situation for those individuals and frankly for many others who are in desperate situations, religious minorities, including Christians, um, w- women leaders who've taken advantage of the opportunity to be educated and others. Um, who are just desperate uh, to get out. And it's been very chaotic and very difficult. Some folks are being taken, uh, many to to Qatar, um, some other countries in the region as these evacuation flights happen. But it has been just a really chaotic scene at at the Kabul airport, and um, which is controlled by the U.S. still, but the Taliban is, you know, not far outside the gates. And um, you know, we've just been receiving, we've served so many Afghans in the United States, especially in the West Coast, that they're, you know, desperate for their loved ones who are still inside and, and trying to get them out. And it's 
yeah, I know we have a lot of people on our governmental side doing the best they can, but it is a kind of a, a very quickly thrown together situation that's not been particularly well organized, at least at, at its start. All right. So we're looking at language like Operation Allies Refuge. We're looking at, um, I mean, Wisconsin only has one military installation, uh, Fort McCoy, and uh, they've begun receiving um, people from Afghanistan. I guess I'm wondering, so just walk us through that process. So let's take these uh, these thousands of people who are already now at Fort McCoy um, and let's l- walk us out from there because it's not intended to be any sort of long-term place for them to live. Hel- help us understand what happens for those families, you know, now housed in barracks that are really designed for military members. They're not designed for families. It's certainly not a space designed for long-term family housing. Um, And this will just be one. I mean, like, right, we're going to see other places across the country um, where this happens. Talk talk with us about that process, because I think that will be of interest to people, and they're going to want to know how their churches can help. Sure. So that's sort of the next step for a lot of these individuals and families after being in that third country where they're going to undergo some further processing. At the point that our government has been able to sign off and say it's it's clear for them to travel to the United States, but they still have some some additional processing to do. They're being taken to, at this point, three military bases. So Fort McCoy is one of them. And, and World Relief staff have actually been um, sent from our various offices to those locations to help with the processing. Um, from What's happening there is just some additional processing. It's supposed to be short term until they can be sent on to different communities throughout the United States to be resettled. And at that point, the process will look very much like refugee resettlement has looked for decades in this country. So World Relief is is one of the primary implementers there, along with eight other national organizations, most of them faith based. Uh, We will basically be told um, by the U.S. government this family is arriving at the airport. And we, you know, frankly, with refugee resettlement, we usually get a few weeks notice of a particular family coming in time to prepare. Right now, sometimes we get a few hours notice that a family is coming. Um, And that's where it's a really unique opportunity. Um, From my understanding, there's not really opportunities to serve within those military complexes, which are more short term processing. But once people arrive in communities throughout the United States, there's huge needs um, for for volunteers, for um, for financial support, for, you know, gifts in kind, like household items and furniture. Uh, and, and that's where at World Relief we see the church's role, is to be those, you know, the people who are there. And frankly, we always, that's always our mission, but especially at a time when a much larger number of people are likely to be arriving. We've already had some. Um, in the last three weeks, we've had about 275 Afghans arrive, which is, you know, a significant number. Um, but it could go up much greater than that as people make it through this multi-step um, process. Um, again, some of them will probably be overseas for quite a while because it's going to take mm. a little bit longer for their processing. And those conditions are, you know, far from ideal as well. Now, but but of course they're not, you know, they're outside of Afghanistan, so at least they're free from the Taliban. But again, you talk about military bases. I mean, that's what the situation is in Qatar as well with with summer heat in the Middle East and just huge numbers of people. So we've heard some pretty troubling things about the conditions, even as people are, are being evacuated. I mean, it's to a few different countries. Um, again, we we have been pressing the Biden administration to use Guam, which which is what President Ford did, which is what President Clinton did in, in the 90s with the Kurds, actually because of you know the lack of tourism. They have a lot of hotel rooms right now in Guam. 
um, related to COVID, there's not a lot of tourism happening. So we wish they would have, you know, had a more orderly process where people could be in, in humane conditions while they're further processed. And I do want to underscore, because this, you know, this, these questions come up, we're not at all saying, we'll just skip the process, skip the vetting, put people on planes and drop them in Tennessee or in Minnesota or in Florida. We want a good process in place. We've The U.S. refugee resettlement process is very thorough, and, and we affirm that. The challenge right now is there's not time to wait for a year or two of, of vetting um, in country. So we need to get them out to a safe place while that process is, is completed. Yeah. All right, we're talking with Matthew Sorens. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We're going to pivot to two other really critical places. We're going to ask Matt for a little perspective on Haiti, and then we're going to focus on the southern border of the United States. Different issues, same concerns. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, continuing our conversation with Matthew Sorens from World Relief. You can find him at worldrelief.org. Um, let's let's pivot and spend a moment on Haiti. I know that um, if people visit worldrelief.org, uh, they're going to scroll down. They're going to see the Afghan crisis, and then they're going to see a, uh, a place to click for the Haiti earthquake. So I want to touch on that before we move to the southern border. Yeah, I appreciate that, Carmen. And, and part, I think, you know, had it not been what's happened for what's happening in Afghanistan, I think that more Americans would be fixated on what's happened in Haiti, which is, you know, much like happened 11 years ago, just a horrific earthquake. In fact, it was a little, it's not in Port-au-Prince, so it's not affecting quite the same number of people. But the magnitude of this earthquake that hit Lakai in Haiti is actually, was actually larger than the one in 2010. And it has been incredibly destructive. There's tens of thousands of people uh, who have lost their homes. And so World Relief actually was already in Lakai. That's one of the areas where our church empowerment zones are very active within the country of Haiti. Um, and, and have been for a number of years, going back to, to Hurricane Matthew. So it's, you know, this, this part of the country, unfortunately, has just suffered so much. But we've, uh, you know, we're now assessing the, the damage and doing all we can through local churches to, to rebuild, to address the emergency response needs first. But then also, you know, one of the reasons we're so committed to working through the local church is, you know, I can't promise that World Relief will be in Haiti forever. And, but I, the, the church that God has, has established is there and will be there and is working with, within its own community to care, especially for those who are, who are vulnerable right now. So, uh, in fact, a, a colleague, our director in Haiti, sent a photo of a church partner of ours that has lost its building. I mean, it's not inhabitable. But the church is meeting outside, gathering together, and planning, how do we respond? How can we, you know, how can we address the needs of some of the most vulnerable in the community? So we would love you know, help, and we've had some great help from churches here in the U.S. and individuals. Um, it speaks actually to the complexity of what we do at World Relief. We're responding to multiple true disasters at one time. And whether it's in uh, the U.S. responding to Afghans are having here or in Haiti or, you know, in other situations that don't even make the news, uh, we believe the local church is what God has placed there. And we want to be empowering the church to serve those who are vulnerable. Absolutely. All right. So um, let's pivot to the southern border. I would say that, you know, the word crisis is is an accurate one. Um, the numbers are extraordinary, and we're talking about very precious people. We're talking about unaccompanied children. We're talking about desperation, um, and yet we are talking about a real need to um, know who is entering and uh, a COVID crisis. And I mean, it's it is very complex. So take us to the southern border. 
Yeah, complex is the right word, and it is. It you know the situation obviously has been going on for a number of months, but I think it, it, it you know people stopped paying attention at a certain point. It hasn't really gotten better, um, and the mix of you know people fleeing hard circumstances in Central America primarily, but frankly more and more other countries as well. We're seeing more Cubans and Venezuelans showing up at the U.S. border. Um, then you also have. Um, you know, of course, the pandemic, which makes things complicated. And because of the pandemic and the public health concerns, which are, of course, very legitimate, the U.S. government has taken some extraordinary actions for for almost a year and a half now, where certain uh, certain parts of our asylum laws, that is to say the laws that govern who can request asylum, have been basically set aside in the name of public health. And then the, the Biden administration has sort of exempted some categories of asylum seekers. So unaccompanied children have been allowed to be processed under the terms of the law, as has most but not all families. Um, most single adults are being returned without um, the opportunity to request asylum. And the problem there is, I mean, there's a lot of people who, who don't really have a strong asylum case, but there's others who do. And when we make these kind of blanket categories, uh, it's very likely that we're sending people back to situations of danger, again, under the, the rationale of, well, we have too many people and there's a public health crisis. And I'm really sensitive to how challenging that is. But our view at World Relief is we need to find a way to both um, protect public health, but still respect the values of our country that, that offer people and under the law. Um, not a free pass to anyone who wants to come to the country, but due process to be considered for asylum if they profess to have a credible fear of persecution. And a lot of people fleeing Cuba or Venezuela have political persecution dynamics. Frankly, a lot of people in Honduras or Guatemala are fleeing gang violence. Um, so they're not, I mean, others are fleeing poverty, which isn't going to qualify you under the terms of U.S. law for asylum. But it's often a complex mix of those factors that are forcing people out. And I think beyond the role of the government, which is important, our view has been, again, the local church, uh, our response is in some ways less complex. We're called to love people to see people as made in the image of God and recognize the dignity in each of those individuals. And, you know, if we think back to that story of the Good Samaritan, uh, and I think I'm paraphrasing from Rick Warren here, but Jesus didn't stop, or the Good Samaritan didn't stop and ask the person beaten up on the side of the road, what's your legal status? Do you qualify for asylum? Are you legal or illegal? He offered help. And, you know, we work with partners along the border who work on both sides of the U.S. and the Mexican border who are doing just heroic work um, to care for people who who are vulnerable through local churches. I always love talking with you. Um, there are so many topics that we could cover and things that we could uh, delve into. I think the most frequent question that I get, and it, I think it exposes, Matthew, um, it exposes the affection that we have or the concern that we have for our own safety and the protection of ours and, you know, mine, mine and ours. Um, versus the understanding that people are literally so desperate they're dying. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I just, I think that's the, the protection of, um, of mine and ours versus the heart of compassion that, you know, beats with the heart of God um, for people who, but, you know, if I had been born in a different place, that's I would be walking in that path today. I would be walking in the path that the the people standing outside uh, outside the fence line, mm-hmm. um, or in in Haiti, or um, or in Central America. I mean, you know, 
it's because of where I was born, you know, right? And to whom I was born that I am where I am doing what I'm doing. And so I just, you know, thank you for consistently ringing the bell, but then also thank you for all of the hard work that's required to put the processes in place that enable people to positively engage, not just be educated, but positively engage. And so I want to encourage people to do that. And you can do that today at worldrelief.org, worldrelief.org. Matthew, thank you as always so much. Thank you, Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, who are you trying to please today? You know, every time, every day I sit down, every moment um, I'm on air, I do have to ask the question, am I going to satisfy the itchy ears? Am I going to please the people? Or, you know, am I going to consistently be uh, be honoring God and speaking the word of truth with grace? Frankly, no matter how that falls um, out there in the world. So it is the question of making other people happy um, or living confidently before the Lord. It's also the question that Karen Amon is asking in when making others happy is making you miserable, how to break the pattern of people pleasing and confidently live your life. She's up next. This is Max Lakeva. What a world Jesus left. The God of the universe was born into the poverty of a peasant girl and spent his first night in the feed trough of a cow. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and lived among us. The God of the universe left the glory of heaven and moved into the neighborhood, our neighborhood. Who could have imagined he would do such a thing when God came to earth? He ensured our salvation. He ensured grace. He ensured hope. And he ensured something else, that we would never be lonely again. Perhaps you feel lonely today. Perhaps you felt lonely for weeks or even months. We cannot avoid loneliness. It is common to every human experience. But in Christ, God is always near. God loves to be with the ones he loves. This is Max Locato. If you have ever found yourself sobbing after agreeing to do something nice for someone else that frankly is too much for your own plate, then uh, Karen Eman has been reading, uh, reading your diary. She's here today to talk about her brand new book, When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable, How to Break the Pattern of People Pleasing and Confidently Live Your Life. Karen, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be back. It's wonderful. Um, it's wonderful to have you. You've been reading my mail um, for sure. <laughs> There's no question about it. So um, so set this up for us. Uh, depending on our personality type, we might be helpful or an overachiever or perfectionist or a peacemaker. But as women in the culture, we kind of all suffer from a similar malady. And what is that? We tend to people please uh, based on a few different things. Yeah, it's different personality types that come into play. But I think 
often it's because we women have what I call the curse of capability. We're just so capable of handling so many things at one time that often we get asked to do more because of course we're capable. And of course we'll say yes, because we want to be liked. And for Christians, I feel like sometimes it's a strength carried to an extreme that now becomes not really, we don't like to say weakness at our house. It's now a non-strength. It's a strength to love and serve as the Bible calls us to. But when we are not keeping that in check, no longer are we loving and serving because God wants us to, but because we don't want to disappoint someone or anger someone, or we fear them not liking us. Yeah. And it's, it's that fear of either disappointing or, um, or somebody not liking us or, I mean, that is the rub in all of this. And I think that comes down to the approval question. And that brings us to Galatians 1.10, which is really the key verse in all of this. Am I now seeking the approval of man or the approval of other people or of God? Am I trying to please people? And if I were still trying to please people, then I would not be serving Christ. Like that, that's that's the pinch point, but that is the point of truth in all of this. It is. And not that there aren't times when pleasing others does please God, but it's those times when we surely know God is saying, no, don't say yes to this. No, don't do this. Um, Yes. Tell the truth to that person who just asked your opinion. And we know God wants us to do a, but the person standing in front of us or on the other end of the cell phone that we're texting or whatever wants us to say or do B and we feel that tug. And when we give into pleasing humans over God, it's really giving into the fear of man over the fear of God. All right. I know that you're now saying to yourselves, okay, I totally need, this is the book I need. So if you um, are listening right now and you want some help with this, you recognize that you're a people pleaser. Um, Maybe you are the helpful sort. Maybe you are uh, an overachiever or a peacemaker or perfectionist. You have somebody in your life or some some multiple people in your life um, to whom you really find yourself unable to say no because you're really interested in pleasing them, and you recognize that that is beyond your calling, beyond what God has uh, purposed you to do. This is the book you need because it's going to equip you um, to learn to say no uh, very effectively. So if you're interested in entering the drawing that we have for the copies we have to give away today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Karen, uh, I am a person who loves what's in the back of a book, and so I want to jump there, and then we'll okay. do the and then we'll do the middle parts. So you offer us seven stop it statements for people pleasers. Can we just walk through these? Sure, sure. These are little one sentence sermons I like to preach to myself when I find myself trying to give in to people pleasing. And the first one is something someone told me years ago that I've never forgotten, and it's this: that every need is not necessarily your call. Yes, there's a need, but it's not necessarily always your call to meet that need. But so often we think when we hear of a need, oh, I have to do something. No, we don't. You know, we can pray about it. We can help them brainstorm somebody else to meet the need, but it doesn't have to be us who always steps up. So every need is not necessarily your call. That one is huge. Um, Don't take on more than you can pray for. Yes, with each new responsibility or task or committee assignment, whatever it is, you're going to have new people, new projects coming into your life, and those are going to need some prayer. So if you don't have time to pray about the new responsibility, then maybe you shouldn't take it on. Okay, that's so hard because, you know, I, well, for so many reasons, because I feel like 
I'm supposed to say yes. And I love that you are empowering me, equipping me to say no, but I'm getting, you know, like hives up my neck as we're talking about it. Um, their happiness is not my responsibility. That's really hard. That's really hard. Yeah, yeah. And we do think other people's happiness is our responsibility. It's like our assignment to keep them happy. And that's not that's not the case. They need to go to God for joy. And um, it's not our job to make sure that they're always happy. And sometimes when we step in and we make someone happy, especially when we're rescuing someone, we're really preventing God from doing a work between just the two of them, because we're trying to, to step in and rescue and make sure that they don't drop that smile. We've got to make sure that they're always happy. That is not our assignment here on earth. Yeah. Allowing people to walk through the pain and learn the lessons and be refined mm-hmm. is really, I think, is hard for all of us. Um, but I know that in my life, right, there's, there is grace in not being rescued in the moment so that you can walk through the trial and you can learn to trust the Lord and you can be refined and you can therefore be prepared and equipped to face the next trial. That's what makes us resilient as people. So in all the ways that we think we're going to save people from pain um, or you know, trying to keep them happy all the time, we're actually impoverishing them in terms of what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Yeah. All right. Uh, you don't need their permission to do God's will. Talk about that. Yeah. So part of people pleasing is giving in and saying yes to something that someone wants us to do. But another part of it is sometimes we don't say yes to something God is calling us to do because we fear someone else's opinion. We think they're not going to approve or they're going to be disappointed or they're going to, you know, in some way look with displeasure at our saying yes to God. But I realized one day that I I don't need other people's permission to do God's will. If he is truly calling me to do something and I know it and, and it's been confirmed and it lines up with scripture, if it's going to maybe not make somebody happy, maybe they're going to disapprove. Maybe they're going to think I should have gone a different direction. I don't need their permission. But so often we feel like we do. It's like, especially with people in our family, like if we know it's going to be met with their disapproval, then we hesitate saying yes to God, but we don't need their permission if God's truly calling us to do something. All right. We're going to talk with Karen Eamon about um, more of the content of this fantastic new book, When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable, How to Break the Pattern of People Pleasing and Confidently Live Your Life. If you want to enter the drawing for the books we have to give away today, Text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. All right, we're talking with Karen Eamon today. You can find Karen online and lots of resources at Karen Eamon. That's E H. M-A-N.com, KarenEman.com. We're talking about her new book, When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable. Um, when we're not, I'm not going to finish, we're not going to finish the seven stop it statements for people pleasers. You got to get those. They're in the back of the book. I want to jump to chapter three, if we can, because you're helping us see others for who they are in order that um, we can be equipped to respond to them. And I recognized a lot of people I know in chapter three. And so I want, I want you and I, I want to talk with you about the pushers, powders, guilt bombers, and others who try to call the shots. Um, And then, you know, and then as we do this, Karen, you know, I think there's some, there's some permission giving that's necessary 
because this sounds critical, right? It sounds critical that I am going to start identifying those people who are using guilt to get me to do things that I know I'm not called to do and I'm really not in a position to do, but I agree to do because they are, you know, I got, I have food pushers in my life too. That's a different subject, but right. Like I'm learning that you have to say to the food pushers, I'm not eating that. Right. So, um, so how do I say to the guilt pushers, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Pushers are, are very interesting. And I think everyone has one in their life. Usually there's one in the family and pushers get their way by pushing. They're controlling, often critical and combative, and they get their way by stomping their foot. And we don't want to deal with feeling like we're being pushed. So sometimes we just give in or we even, you know, from the get go, we don't even have to get to the point where they're pushing. We just make a decision that we know will avoid the push. And the pushers are pow- uh, powerful, and they, they get their way by stomping their foot. All right. I have a powder in my life. Uh, how do powders get their way? Okay. So pushers get their way by stomping their foot. Powders get their way by dropping their smile. And you don't want to add to their sadness, especially if somebody truly has been a victim in life. I mean, I, I don't want to say that always powders are being manipulative because there are sometimes that people just there's an overwhelming sadness in their life and so if you know you're going to make a decision or say something that might add to their sadness you don't want them to drop that smile so you give in just in order to keep them happy yeah so one way that i experience um the the powder is the person who keeps wanting me to return to the pity party and i Mm -hmm. just I just have learned to resist going there again. And I have found myself able to say, you know what? You and I have been to that pity party before. I recognize your desire to return to the pity party, but I'm not going there with you. And it's, you know, I mean, I know it's very straightforward and kind of ripping off the Band-Aid, but that's, I I have to have, you got to find ways to do it. All right, let's talk about the guilt bombers. Who are they and what are they doing? So guilt bombers, they make you feel oh so guilty if you say no to something or they just subtly, they're they're very kind of covert. They kind of just have this subtle way about them that ensures that decisions go their way because if they don't, then they say something a little bit underhanded, backhanded that makes you feel guilty. And so you give in because you don't want to look like you're being selfish or you don't want to, you know, um, look like you're not being conscientious of their situation, but they have this way of just making you feel guilty in order for them to get the decision to go how they want it to go. All right. And then um, uh, there's this group that we're calling Me First, the Me First Maximizers. They're not quite narcissist, but it's really close. Yeah. They're the hardest for me to deal with, Carmen. I've uh, had several of these people in my life and, and dealing with one of them is really what kind of catapulted me into starting to write the, the book, but a me first maximizer, they're, they're on the surface, very agreeable. They're hardworking. There's nothing um, on the surface that seems to be wrong, but whenever there's a decision that's going to happen where somebody is going to get the shorter end of the stick, they always make sure it's not them. So in any situation, they make sure that they come out on top. But if the roles were reversed, they would never agree to the, you know, the stipulations of the agreement or the way the project's going to be tackled or whatever. If they were on the short end of the stick, they always somehow can make things fall where they get the bigger piece of the pie. 
it's very hard to deal with a me first maximizer. You almost just have to call it out. I've, I've learned to just say, okay, I see that you want to split this project up this way where, you know, it feels like I'm getting all the, the grunt work and the not so fun stuff. And you're getting all the fun stuff. If you think that's fair, why don't we switch it and, and I'll do what you were going to do and you can do my assignment. And if they don't agree to it, maybe they can see that it's not quite fair and we need to kind of go back to the drawing board, but they're, they're very hard to deal with me first maximizers. All right. We're talking with Karen Eamon. She talks with us about how to deal with each one of these different varieties of people who, uh, to whom we have a tendency to capitulate in terms of people pleasing. She also talks um, in the book about how to be honest with ourselves and how to say no uh, what digital is doing to us, which is um, a particularly good chapter. And then um, I love just the equipping then when when you really get down to, I think, brass tacks, which is this does come down to me and Jesus. We have a listener who texted in a moment ago, um, you know, ultimately, I think that people pleasing is idol worship and, you know, where I have become the idol because I want people to like me. And it does all come down to 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 me and Jesus. Yeah, it does. And, and that's interesting that that listener said that, because I actually talk about that in the book that, you know, idolatry is worshiping an image. And sometimes we are, we're worshiping our own image, we want to keep up that image of being capable and competent, or even compassionate, if you're the helper sort of person, we want to keep up that image. And so we keep giving in and people pleasing, just in order to make others think well of us. And that really is kind of worshiping our own image rather than truly worshiping God and doing what he calls us to do. All right. If you um, already love Karen Eamon, then you know um, that you want a copy of the book. Go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. If you don't know her, check out her website and all the ministry resources available there, including, but certainly not limited to, the online devotional that she writes called Encouragement for Today. You can connect with Karen and all of the resources at Karen Eamon, E-H-M-A-N, Karen Eamon, Dot com. Karen, what a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Have a great rest of your day. You too. We'll be right back. All right. You can still say yes to the friendship while saying no to the friend. And we don't owe them an excuse for why we said no. We do owe God an explanation for why we said yes. So those are a couple more of the seven stop it statements for people pleasers in the back of Karen's uh, new book. And so let me encourage you, if if you need help with this, if you know you're a people pleaser and you just have a really hard time saying no, particularly in relationships that mean a lot to you, how do you prioritize your calling um, over all of the things that people call you to do or call on you to do. Um, that's really what the book is about. It's super practical, and she's really personable. So um, if you want to enter the drawing for the books we have to give away today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. All right, in the final minute we have here together today, let me encourage you um, to be praying today um, for one another. Lots of concerns raised by um you know, by this, the listening family here. Uh, we, we know that people are struggling with so many things. And so let's be praying for one another 
I know that we can't see each other, but we do know that, like, we know we're out there. And so, you know, pray today for Virginia. Pray for Kathy. Pray for Leslie. Pray for Jim. Pray for Barbara. God knows who they are and where they are and what they're dealing with. God knows who you are and where you are and what you're dealing with. Pray for Sharon. Pray for Jessica. I'm just watching the name scroll on the screen. Pray for Kim. Pray for Lisa. Pray for one another. Pray for Mark. Pray for one another today and recognize that this is a community of people who love God. Let us also love one another and let us do so in a significant way today by praying for one another. So God, I pray for each and every person in earshot of my voice right now. May they hear you today. May they sense your presence by the power of your Holy Spirit. May they walk in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.